Our scripture for today is John 3, 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kaylin. And Kurt, thanks for powering through the announcements. I heard a friend this week say this statement. People have trash can hearts, was what he said. People have trash can hearts. And I was like, what? Where are you going with this? And the, the way that he explained it is like, you know how our trash can is this way in our kitchen, how it has like the little lever at the bottom, and when you step on it, the lid opens, okay? And so, so you step on it, and the lid opens. And we are like that in the sense that when something steps on our heart, when something grabs our heart, our mouth opens, that, you know, when, when some, Tanner shared this uh, a while back when he preached, was like, when you have a child, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. Your heart has been so affected that your mouth opens, <laughs> and you can't stop it from, from opening. Um, when you can have the most introverted person who just gets captivated by a song or gets captivated by something, by a movie or a TV show, and it steps on their heart and their, their mouth opens. And Nicodemus last week and two weeks before, when we looked at Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation to Nicodemus, Jesus is sharing some of the, the most amazing things to one of the greatest teachers of Israel, and we're never sure if it got to his heart. We can look at different things later on in the Gospels and start trying to figure out, but we don't know for sure if Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus ever really touched his heart because his mouth never opened. <laughs> Could have, but we don't know. He never speaks in a way. When he does speak, it's basically like, I don't get it. I'm not tracking with you. This is really hard to understand. I'm not sure I can follow you. And so, so we never get a chance to see if Nicodemus' mouth opened, if he believed, if he believed what Jesus was saying him, 
to the point that it, it got to him. It got to the inner part of his life where, where uh, other parts of Scripture say, like, it, it's, it's from our heart that we speak. And he did it get to there, and we don't see, like, we don't see if he believed and then if he proclaimed the life-changing message of Jesus that he was being told by Jesus. So the greatest teacher of Israel is schooled by Jesus, would be maybe a way to look at it. And Jesus is, is really speaking to him, and he is silenced when he is known for being a teacher. Today, what is really, I've wrestled with this passage for a while, and I was like, man, help me see, Lord, where this is connected, because God doesn't just like drop all these random sections of Scripture. We're, we're going kind of piece by piece, but he's not like, okay, totally different thought. Okay, totally different thought. Okay, like he's, he's leading us through purposely going from here to here to here to here, and John tells us so that we would believe so that we'd follow Jesus, so that we'd give our lives. So it's like, Lord, why did you see fit to guide John to go from a conversation with Nicodemus to a conversation now with the greatest prophet? We go from the greatest teacher to the greatest prophet. And what I love here, and Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest ever born of women. Uh, other places it's alluded to think of him as, as the greatest prophet in the long story and the long lineage of incredible prophets of the Old Testament like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah. Here what is beautiful is that you can see John the Baptist has had his heart stepped on. <laughs> John the Baptist isn't just this like, man, I got to eat locusts. I've got terrible, like I don't have any access to a clothing store, and uh, I'm not going to live that long, and man, life is hard for John the Baptist. We get to see today a man who's had his, his heart stepped on in the best of ways. His heart changed where his, he is the only one today that we will hear speak. Last week, the week before, we heard mainly Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus being like this. We don't really even hear Jesus speak today. We hear what John the Baptist is saying the more that he's getting around Jesus and getting what Jesus is teaching and being moved to speak. So can we pray that his words would change us and form our words? So Lord, I do pray that you would empower our time. Jesus, um, would you open us up to the treasures of you, the treasures of you that we will hear today? Would you step on our hearts? Would you, would you grab our hearts in a way that our mouth opens? You know exactly what each of us needs. Some of us need to be woken up. Some of us need to be calmed. Some of us need to be directed. Some of us need to be made alive. Some of us need to recognize how you love us compared to maybe even what we think of ourselves. So, Lord, what you would desire in this place to happen, we look to you and say, would it happen? Fill us with the joy of living for you today. Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, verse 22 of chapter 3. After this... Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. 
This is an arid environment, a place in the world. Water is, is on the rare side, so the water is plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. So Jesus has finished talking with Nicodemus, as we've mentioned. And remember, that conversation happened in Jerusalem, which is in the southern area, roughly kind of south-central part of Israel. So the, the conversation is finished there, and if you, if you missed that, uh, you, can, you can go back and read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Um, on our website, we have a sermons link on iTunes. We have podcasts and would love for you to go back and, and see the significance of that conversation. So now they've left Jerusalem, and it seems like they're traveling north into Galilee. And on the way, they swing by. They don't have cell phones, all that stuff, but on the way, they, re- they somehow know where John the Baptist is is baptizing people, and on the way they've come to where John is baptizing. People are being baptized in water as a way to trust that God is going to purify the sins of people. So when people are baptized at this time, they're trusting there's going to be a way for us to be purified. It's coming. Today, the the week after Easter, here we're going to have a baptism celebration And that baptism is not trusting one way somehow there would be a purification of sins. It's saying, uh, I've met him. (laughs) I know the man. I've put my trust in Jesus. I've been forgiven. He's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. I've been purified. I'm now entering the waters as a showing you physically what has happened to me spiritually, what has happened to, to my soul And so uh, today, at this time, when Jesus and his disciples are coming up on this crowd of people, is uh, they're trusting what's to come. And here comes Jesus and his disciples. They go there. The disciples even start baptizing people. We find out later Jesus isn't baptizing people, but the disciples even start baptizing people, which I'm like, I would love to have seen the scene. Like, this would have been just really interesting. I mean, it was probably the first time that Peter and, and some of the other disciples are actually, like, baptizing people, and it's before the resurrection. A, a lot of fascinating stuff is happening. Look at verse 25. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So we don't know who this Jewish person is. It actually isn't important for us. If it was important, we would have been told. Interestingly, almost everybody there is Jewish by birth. But this seems like John the Baptist's disciples are having a discussion with a person, a Jew, over purification. And it seems uh, likely that there's a disagreement. That, that, or there's maybe like a trying to find out more information about how can sinful people be made pure. Everything inside of us says, well, they got to pay for it. they got to pay for what they've done. we got to smear their faces in it. Like there's got to be justice, you know. And it's like they just enter the water and that's it? That's cheap. How can sinful people be made pure? Um, John is not initially part of this discussion, so they come to John the Baptist. They were like, we'll let John settle this. Verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. So me, he is baptizing, I think it's like his entourage is baptizing, and all are going to him. John's disciples seem to be concerned that Jesus is stealing 
all of John the Baptist's disciples, which I think is funny and interesting and a window into the human nature, is, um, man, John, like, everybody's leaving you. They're going over to Jesus. And, uh, like, is John upset? Is John like, hey, 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 wait a second. I'm the best prophet that's ever lived. Have you heard the things Jesus has said about me? Um, you know, I'm supposed to be gaining a following here. I'm working on a book deal. You know, like there's all these things that I think John the Baptist could be like thinking that, or they're thinking that John is thinking these things. And I think what is beautiful is John has had his heart touched by Jesus. And you can tell when a, when a person has been changed and has has had the center of their universe reoriented from themselves to Jesus in the best of ways John the Baptist opens his mouth because his heart has been changed in verse 27 John says a person cannot receive any even one thing unless it is given him from heaven John isn't like yeah, I know, right? Nobody should be leaving me. Have you heard the amazing things I'm saying? Have you heard the, all the wisdom that I have, all of the prophecy that I'm generating? You know, when they're questioning John on why people are leaving him, he says his first thing out of the, out of the shoot is a person can't receive, can't receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John answers with humility in a conversation about purification, about heavenly things, John himself says, I have no original ideas here. I have nothing to tell you that is actually going to be significant because I am from the earth. <laughs> I am a resident of earth. He is not from heaven. He is very much from earth. John knows his origins. If he knows anything true about heavenly things, it's because it's been given him from heaven. And John has the clarity to see that, the clarity to speak that. And then look at verse 28. Remember, this is John saying to the people that are confronting him on this tragedy that they see. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Remember, guys, John says, remember when I told you that I am not the Christ. Do you remember that? That was like recently. <laughs> Remember when I told you I am not the Christ. Remember how I told you that I've been sent before him to prepare the way before him, and he is the groom. So John is bringing us a little bit more imagery here that he hasn't shared up till now. But friend, like Jesus is the groom. His church that is coming into existence is the bride. And John says, I'm friends with the groom. I'm friends with the groom. I stand, I hear the groom. 
Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. And I love this. Like John is letting us into the way he feels when he's around Jesus. John the Baptist is saying, I am happy and I have so much joy when I hear Jesus speak, when I hear him say the things that he says. As people are leaving John in droves to follow Jesus, the response of John the Baptist here is legendary. At the end of verse 29, therefore this joy of mine is now complete. This joy of mine is now complete. So as John is watching people he loves go to Jesus whom he loves more, and they're leaving him, John's like, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier to lose all the people following me because of who they're following now. The, my joy is complete. And then John says it so simply and so powerfully in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And these are not words of someone who's been defeated, you know, like, well, man, I tr tried to start up a big platform for myself. Somebody better came along and beat me, you know. Uh, I guess I'll decrease so he can increase. It's someone who's full of joy, not because he's been defeated by Jesus, but instead the true king of our hearts has taken the rightful place reigning over John the Baptist's hearts. He's designed for Jesus to reign over his affections, to reign over his desires, to reign over his hopes. And here's, I think this is a, a neat way to think of it. Casey, I think I have a slide for this. Is there's no greater joy, there it is, there's no greater joy than seeing people go from you to Jesus. Just straight. There's no greater joy than seeing people go from you to Jesus. And silly, small example, but like I got to see my son Silas like get a buck for the first time this year. And I'm like a really passionate, I'm shooting my bow every day now, preparing for October, and I'm really into it. And uh, it was more exciting for me to see Silas be successful than me, even though, believe me, I want to be successful too. But seeing Silas was such a joy for him to enter into something that I love. And man, that's like a silly example compared to this, which truly there is no greater joy than seeing people go from you to Jesus. You know, have people walk up to like John and be like, hey, John, and then John says something, and then I'm like, and I go to Jesus. And when John sees the back of my back, he's like, oh gosh, here we go. You know, no greater joy than see people go from you to Jesus. And this is what John the Baptist is telling us at this moment. The more you let Jesus have your life, the more you let him step on your heart, form your heart, the more we will each open up and speak to others. John the Baptist opens up. He goes for it. Jesus doesn't say a word in this section. We get to hear the greatest prophet give what I think is the greatest message that any prophet has ever uttered. Um, you can make a case, I think, that the next five verses are the most crucial words spoken by a prophet. John's going to be the last of what are considered the Old Testament prophets as the resurrection is around the corner and the, the new covenant will begin. But look at verse 31. This is John going for it. I feel like he's maybe transitioned from just speaking to 
the, the, his disciples to he's making sure everybody around him knows this, is he who comes from above is above all. He who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. So we'll pause there. Jesus has come from above. Jesus is above all. Let it never be mistaken who you are seeing when you see Jesus. You cannot see anyone who is above him. You will never meet anyone who is above him. There is nothing, there is no one who is above him. Here he is. He is speaking to you. Listen. John is trying to wake us up to see how utterly unique Jesus is. More unique than anyone else who has ever been. And Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. I think that's fascinating. Like I was like, oh gosh, what's, what's happening here? How can John the Baptist say no one receives his testimony when people are leaving John the Baptist in droves to follow Jesus? Obviously, there are people who are receiving his testimony. The dis- disciples are receiving his testimony. I think what John is emphasizing here when he says no one receives his testimony, is how every single human being alive should be following Jesus. There is no one higher. He is above all. He is the only one coming from heaven to to be qualified to speak of the things that he is speaking of. And he, John is saying, no one is receiving his testimony when you look at everyone who should be receiving his testimony. Few are, and they are being radically changed, but, um, but he could accurately say no one in light of how many should are, are receiving his testimony. So many are resisting eternal life. It makes John lament here. But for those who are following him, look at verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. People who do believe Jesus, what they're saying is God is true. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way. Like, when you're receiving Jesus, you're not just being like, well, this moral teacher makes a good point. But... What this is saying is, is when you believe these words, you're saying, God, you are true. You are right. Now, the inverse is, is a little bit more scary, but it is, there, it's clear, and clarity should be good, is those who are rejecting Jesus aren't just simply disagreeing with John. They're calling God a liar is what he's saying here. I mean, I don't think I'm stretching it. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. So if you are not receiving his testimony, you're saying God is a liar. God, you are not true. These things are a lie. You are a liar. And man, like this, his kindness, which we'll see too, is that there have been people who have treated God that way for 40 years. And God had every right to be like, fine, I'll let you just, I won't ever try to draw you to myself again. But C.S. Lewis is great saying he came kicking and screaming 
into God's family, giving his life to Jesus. And what struck C.S. Lewis was not that he came kicking and screaming, but that God would accept someone like him who so badly wanted to push him away, but knew he was real and he was drawing him to himself. And he said, now that I reflect on that, I can't believe how kind he is to let me come on those terms. Those who receive what is being spoken from heaven, they call God true. He who utters the words of God, Jesus himself utters the words of God. This uh, verse 34, for he whom God has uttered, utters the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. I love that. It's, uh, man, like those who are into baking and all that stuff know, like for something to come out, you got to measure it perfectly. Or, you know, sometimes it's like we only have so much to go around, so we got to measure it and be like, here's a little bit for you. Here's a little bit for you. Here's a little bit for you. We need to ration things here. And I love here what he's saying is like when he gives the Holy Spirit, it's not even measuring. <sighs> like there's so much, like cannot be exhausted, and we know that the Spirit is one who teaches us the words of God to say this is true, convicts us, counsels us, empowers us, and he's saying, God is true if you believe these things, receive this testimony, and the Holy Spirit is given without any holding back, without measure. It's spirit and truth, spirit and truth, this is saying, and what's crazy is we're going to see next week Probably the one you're like, well, this is probably for the good people, right? We're going to see what the society called the lowest of the low. And Jesus is saying, hey, can I tell you about spirit and truth? And if you come to me and the Samaritan woman, just it's beautiful. We'll save it for next week. Um, but all of these things are connected here. Then verse 35, we see the Father's heart. John the Baptist is proclaiming as he has had his heart changed by the Father's heart. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Remember how John 3.16 was that God so loved the world, he sends only son. Now we get to see another facet of this, is that the father so loves the son that he's given all things into his hand. And uh, it's beautiful how these intertwine, and uh, the father loves the son, this is why he's given all things into his hand. This is why there's only one way to God. It's because God has put all of his love on his son. And if you try and find another way, you're actually fighting against God's love for his son. And that's why you're calling him a liar. And you're accusing him of not loving his son. And you're saying, Father, is there some other way that I can go, some other path? He's like, well, I only had one son to give and I gave it all to him, and he is above all. The Father loves the Son. He's given Jesus all things. What Jesus shares with Nicodemus is now explained in phrase through the heart and mind of the greatest of prophets. We'll soon see this played out in John 4. John is preaching this powerful truth, and then verse 36, it feels like a recasting of John 3, 16 too, not because they don't have anything better to say, but because there's nothing else for them to say because they're speaking clearly about how to, these are written so that you would believe. John says, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's the first time we hear John the Baptist saying it like this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not Obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Nicodemus struggles. John gets it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
And this is kind of a, a point that I've been challenged with, is that he gets it, get it, and live there. So, like, the clarity of, like, oh, my gosh, it's not about being a good person. Oh, my gosh, it's not trying to get myself cleaned up. It is truly the radical clarity of whoever believes in him will not perish. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. He gets it. John the Baptist gets it. Nicodemus doesn't, it seems like. John the Baptist gets it. Uh, Then you get it. Stay there and live there. It's something that will bring you to Jesus, but it will be something that actually keeps you walking day by day with Jesus as well. Having him step on our hearts, so to speak, and the, the spirit bringing the power of God's truth, the spirit of truth, what brings us to the door of our salvation and keeps us walking with Jesus day by day. So two questions for us of like, where do we go from here? What do we do from here? Is one question is, who do you hope will go from you to Jesus? Who do you hope will go from you to Jesus? If it's like, man, I would love for this person to come up. I'd love for God to be forming my heart in a way that I just, I just can't stop myself from speaking. Not because I think I'm right, but because I know he's right. Jesus is right, and uh, I want this person to experience what I've been able to experience. Who do you hope will go from you to Jesus? John had no greater joy. It's like, man, we're, we're kicking off the book of Philippians tonight at the well, and Paul in prison is talking about how full of joy he is. Um, happiness can come and go, can be kind of like, I'm excited that this show is dropping on Netflix or something, but joy is something that's actually like roots they get us through all the storms and actually allow us to have life in him. And man, no greater joy, we're told, than people going from us to Jesus. So, so what I would just encourage you, if people come to mind, it'll be like, hey, that was kind of weird. That person actually really hurt me um, or whatever it may be. If people come to mind, I would just ask you to, to pray about that and then to possibly, if it feels right, to just share it with somebody and be like, hey, I'm starting to pray for this person. Would you join me? You know, it's this coworker, or, or and you know them, or whatever it may be. And man, that's not talking behind their back. I think that's actually loving them, serving them, being for them, and locking arms together that that the Lord would see them be changed and 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 find life. And then the second one is, where do you need Jesus to step on your heart? Where do you need Jesus to to get you? Because we're, we're made for this. Where, where do we need Jesus to remove from our heart lesser things? Wanting our mouth to speak because our heart has been touched by him. What, what brings us to Jesus, spirit and truth, is how we live. And we're, we're so made that when we, are, when we are swallowed up by Jesus, we're so made that, that we feel alive. And then when... when when it could be material things, it could be something that we're put our hope in and our trust in that isn't Jesus or, or things that we're centering our lives on that isn't Jesus, that's when we start feeling numb. We start feeling anxious. We start feeling angry. We start f- feeling fear. And there, biological things can happen that can contribute to some of those things. But when, when Jesus enveloping us is here and we start getting from here, we start moving away from feeling alive. 
and we start moving away from feeling life. And where, and Lord, this is a great prayer. It's like, Lord, would you show me, would you maybe just grab me? Would you, would you take my heart and make it not be numb? And Lord, would, would I just be swallowed up in you? That like John the Baptist, that even if people are walking away from me, that it would actually bring me great joy because maybe it's them walking towards Jesus. Lord, would you show us that? Would you form us? Would you, the, the incredible example that you give us in John the Baptist, Lord, would you make that our story? Would you make that in our ways, in the unique ways that you've made us? And Lord, for those who are in here that have yet put their trust in you, believing in you, would they do that today? Would it be serious, the resisting you? And not in a way that drives them from you, but a way that drives them to you. And Lord, for all of us, where we're, we're, we are not just totally surrounded by you, um, Lord, would we step towards you? Would we, would we surrender? Would, would we um, just feel you coming all around us? We want our lives to be centered on you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So communion is his design for us to move towards him collectively as a, as a community, walking with Jesus, brothers and sisters, that, that we have the opportunity to come to him through, through communion. So we, we have, uh, it's a cup within a cup. So if you just grab one, wine and juice, obey your conscience there, and grab one and then you, rem- you separate the cups and then there'll be bread in there. We have gr- gluten-free cups or uh, gluten-free crackers there in, in, the, in the bowls. Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus, what I would encourage you is to come to him. This won't have a lot of meaning apart from first coming to him. So you can spend that time just asking him. Um, maybe that's it, is just saying, Lord, if you are real, if all this is real, I'm just going to spend this time just listening. And would you somehow make that clear to me? Um, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, are following him, um, the only warnings in Scripture are don't, don't race to the table if there are things that the Lord wants to do um, in your life and, and meet with you in. Meet with him, and then meet with him together through communion. So, so the way we'll take it is we'll come forward, take it, uh, and then go back. So take the elements, go back, we'll remain standing, and we'll take it together as family. So let's respond to him.